really good fighter. How many good fighters do we have in the room? Like, you just, you know how to fight, baby. Let's get it on. And, uh, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm really good at it. And uh, we're, we're really excited to be talking about this. Um, we've made jokes all throughout the series, but it really is true that the last maybe six oh, weeks leading you. into this series and stuff, we've never fought more in your Samaritans than we have getting ready for this series. Let's so do it. Here's what we found out, or not found out, but here's what we know to be true about our marriage and about your relationship, your marriage, is this. For us, it's hardly ever the things that we do that cause us to fight that are the actual problems. Right. It's the way that we fight about the things that we're fighting about that are the problems. Does that make sense to everybody? So whatever it is that got you into the fight is usually not that big of a deal. It's the way that you fight about that thing that causes way more problems than whatever actually got you into the fight to begin with. And I don't know if you've ever been like Andrew and I, but like an hour and a half later, you're like, what did we start fighting about, right? Because you're way down the trail now, and, and you've, hopefully you've maybe crossed, haven't crossed some lines that you, you can't take back. So we want to talk today about fighting, specifically about fighting fair, because what we're not going to say today is that you shouldn't fight. It's not possible. You're going to fight. Spend that much time with somebody, you have that many kids with somebody, like, you're going to fight. I would say a marriage without any fighting is probably a marriage without some passion, okay? So you are going to fight. It's going to happen. But how we fight makes all the difference. Because I've counseled so many couples, we've talked to so many couples, and the, the errors were not that big a deal, but all the fights about the errors sent the marriage in a tailspin, and, uh, and we want to try to stop that. So what we've been saying throughout this series is to feel love, you've got to give love the way what? Your spouse feels most loved. That's what we've been saying. That love is not a noun. Love is not a thing. It's not, it's not something that you fall into and you fall out of and you have it and then whoops, one day you don't have it anymore. That love is a verb. Jesus said to love one another. It's something that you give. And so a marriage is not something where the spouse, spouses go, oh, look, we, have, we found it. We bumped into it. We have love. And then you wake up one day and you're like, oh, we don't have it anymore. But that love is something that you give. It's a verb. It's a give and a take. So it's not, I don't love my spouse anymore. That's not the question. The question is, are you loving your spouse? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you have a decision to make. Am I going to love them, or am I not going to love them? Not, is there love in this relationship? Do I love them anymore? It's, am I loving them? Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I get to make a decision today. And what we've said throughout this series is that to feel it, to feel it, to have it, I've got to give it, but I can't just give it the way that I want to receive it. I've got to give love the way that my spouse feels most loved. Does that make sense to everybody? And in essence, every time you're doing this, you're choosing to make love. Hello. Love it. All right. So, so we spent the last two weeks specifically talking to husbands, specifically talking to wives. We took a week for each and, uh, and, and talked about how a husband would feel the most loved for the wives, and how a wife feels the most loved for the husband. And we are going to end this last week by talking about fighting. So what we're going to do is we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, you've probably heard it read at a wedding, you may have had it read at your wedding, it's a famous passage of scripture about love. The basis of everything that we're going to say today is rooted, the foundation in the fact that you love each other, that you're giving love to one another, okay? And we have a belief that that people who love each other, if I say that I love you, if you've been around for a couple years in our marriage series, you've heard us say this, but we have a belief that if I say I love you, I'll never hurt you on purpose. Right. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to make you cry. I'm going to disappoint you. But I'm never going to do it on purpose because love doesn't hurt on purpose. You may want to write that down. Love doesn't hurt on purpose. So as crazy as this sounds... Today we're changing the statement a little bit and saying to feel love, you've got to fight in the way that your spouse feels most loved. Doesn't that sound just insane? That you could actually fight in a way that makes your spouse feel more loved and not less loved. Because what happens to so many of us is we leave the fight and each spouse feels less loved. So 1 Corinthians 13 is going to give us a few little uh, nuggets here to help us. As we go into those fights with those people that we love, it's going to give us a couple things. I'm going to give you four. We actually have a lot of content we're going to throw at you today. We're going to try to fit it all into our 30 minutes. But we're just going to throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and let it stick where it will, okay? So whatever applies to where you are, it, it, hopefully it will help you. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Here's what it says. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So, so much there in verses 4 through 7. Here's what I want to do. I want to start at the very end. And I want to work our way back to the beginning. So we're going to start in verse 7, work our way back to verse 4, because I believe what's said at the end of verse 7 is the most important thing that could be said all day today. So let's lead off with it, all right? I'm going to give you four things that will help us fight with the person that we love. Are you ready? Number one, love stays no matter what. Write that down, put that in your phone, take a picture of the screen, whatever you need to do. Love stays no matter what. Look at verse 7. It says, love endures through every circumstance. Now, I don't know if you got married like I got married, but when I got married, the preacher stood up there and the preacher said this phrase. He said, for richer, for poor, sickness and in health, he said, till death do us part. Anybody else say that at your wedding? Let me see your hand if you said that at your wedding. I said that at my wedding too. We almost named this series, Till Divorce Do Us Part. But we didn't do it. Because somehow we've forgotten that phrase in our wedding. Now listen, we're not talking about abuse. Please hear me. If he's hitting you, if she's hurting you, we're not talking about those circumstances, okay? And the Bible's not either. So, so don't, don't go there. Don't be twisted like that. But here's what we're saying. is No matter what we fight about, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how many times I disappoint, no matter how hurtful it gets, no matter how much... You know, we yell at each other. No matter how awful the situation is, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. We're not mentioning the divorce word. We're not, it's not coming up. It's not an option. It's not on the table. This thing is together until one of us dies. 
So don't get any ideas no matter how mad you are at me right now, all right? The only way we're getting out of this is for you to get rid of me, you know, we're not doing that. So love stays. I'm, you know, I got life insurance a couple years ago. It really, Stop we it. had to talk. Anyway, so love stays no matter what. No threats. No in the middle of the fight. Well, you know, my next wife won't feel this way or my next husband or, you know, no, not even joking about those things. I'm through, you know, we don't, love stays no matter what. I love you, I married you, and I'm in this thing. I'm in this thing. No matter what. I don't care what we're fighting about. I'm not leaving. I'm in it for good. And I think that what's so powerful about this, or at least what was true for us, is you may think that that gives you a free license to say or do whatever you want. Well, it doesn't matter. He's staying. I'm not going. He's not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. But it actually had the opposite effect. It made me feel like I better do everything I can because we're, we're, like, we're together. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not, there is no out. There is no get out of jail free card. There is no annulment. There is no acting like that this marriage thing did not happen. And so for us, it was really liberating, um, not in a, again, not in a free pass, so to speak, but in a, I better guard this and, and make sure that, that we're doing everything we can um, to make this successful. And, and just, it took away all of the insecurities that I might have as the woman, um, feeling like, you know, if I, if I mess up or say something or I'm not, you know, doing everything I'm supposed to do, like, he's going to trade me in. He's going to walk out the door. It just dispelled all of that. Um, and kind of allowed us to move forward. Yeah, so love stays no matter what. And what we've found is the first time in a fight a couple mentions divorce, it scares everybody and they work it out. But the first time leads and the snowball gets to rolling and it's mentioned again and it's mentioned right. again and it's mentioned again and until one day it's a real threat and you begin to think, well, I probably wouldn't fight with somebody else like this. And you would. Because of the stuff that's in you, not the stuff that's in them. So that's a whole other topic. So number one, love stays no matter what. Number two, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love believes the best. Love believes the best. And Andrew, I'll let you talk about this a little bit because the first few years of marriage, there wasn't a lot of good stuff to believe in. That's not true. I mean, but I, you believe the best in me. I fell in love with you and, and saw the potential there. Verse I, 7 says, love yeah. never loses faith. See, see how she did that right there? Yeah. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful. Even when there's not a lot of hope, love says there's some hope. Um, I think this is also big when other people uh, point out your spouse's flaws and you're like, well, you think that's bad. You should see them, you know, at home. Mm -hmm. And it's just so easy to kind of jump on that bandwagon. Uh, but what we've kind of started saying is, listen, I, it's my job to be the biggest cheerleader for my spouse, not the expert in their flaws. That's good. Say that again. I want to Say be that again. the biggest fan, the biggest cheerleader of, of the good things, the positive things, the strengths um, of my spouse, not an expert in their weaknesses, in their flaws. Um, I just think that that's really powerful. That's a, that's a good place to say amen because <laughs> we are so good at knowing our spouse's flaws. Yeah. We're an expert in them. But... You know, she's been using this statement throughout the series, but are you a cheerleader of their strengths or an expert of their flaws? And, and so we've just said, look, if we're going to fight, we're going to enter into the fight giving each other benefit of the doubt, believing the best about each other, 
And yeah, you may have done something I didn't want you to do. You may have done something I asked you not to do. You may have, you know, whatever it is, right? But I'm going to assume the best possible scenario, not assume the worst possible scenario about you. This is not turning a blind eye, right? This is not saying that he has no flaws or she's perfect. But it is a conscious choice to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk myself down off this ledge, and I'm going to think, what's, what's the character? What's the track record? What's the, you know, like, he, he probably didn't do this on purpose. Okay, where, 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 where are his intentions? All right, I know that he loves me, and if that's true, then he's never going to intentionally hurt me, right? So, so it starts with that foundation. I think a great example of this for us is I'm incredibly forgetful, obviously, and I tend to be a little bit ADD and just... I just, sometimes I'm not giving my total focus. My mind is elsewhere. And you have decided that you're going to believe the best in that. You're going to give me the benefit of the doubt. And if I'm being forgetful or I'm not all there, my mind's not all there, I'm not giving 100% energy, it's not because I don't love you. It's not because I'm leaving. It's not because all that you usually say something like, look, I know your mind is on church stuff. I know you've got a lot on your plate. I know, like, in those statements, you're not making excuses for me. You're giving me the benefit of the doubt knowing He's got a lot going on. That's why this is happening. Instead of being angry about it, you, you try to be as understanding as possible, and you're really good at that. Well, you've, and it's just a conscious choice. It's, you know, over time and deciding over and over whatever the fight is, whatever the disagreement is, like, all right, let me try to be empathetic. Let me try to put myself in their shoes and then work from there. Okay, number three. So we said love stays no matter what. We said love believes the best. Number three, according to 1 Corinthians 13, love lets go of the past. Love lets go of the past. Verse 5 says, keeps no record of being wrong. Here's a rule Andrea and I have. I don't get to bring up the last fight during this fight. Come on. I don't get to bring up the last fight during this fight. Okay? Because what happens if you're allowed to bring up all the past fights is every fight is the same. It's just longer. Because <laughs> we just keep rehashing the same things. You're never going to forget You've got to choose not to bring up past mistakes. And you know, and I know, that most of the mistakes are repetitive mistakes. You can bring up the same mistakes over and over and over again. You don't get to do that. I don't get to bring up the last fight during this fight. We're dealing with this time. We don't get to say things like, well, you always do this. We've talked about this a hundred times, and you never, ever do this. You never get better. I don't get to do that because we're dealing with this time because that's what Jesus does to us. That's what Jesus does for us. We want to be like Jesus in that. So love stays no matter what. Love believes the best. Love lets go of the past. And then number four, love is willing to wait. Love is willing to wait. Verse four says love is patient and kind. And love is willing to wait pretty much just means we fought about this before. We're probably going to fight about this again. I don't feel like it's getting any better really to be honest with you. But that's okay. I'm willing to wait. I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm not giving up. You're still not the husband I want you to be. You're still not the wife that I want you to be. But I'm patient and I'm kind. And if you really think about it in your life, all the times that you've improved, that you've matured, it's probably because someone was patient and kind with you, not because someone was guilting you, angry, mean at you, yelling at you, right? It was when somebody was patient and kind and said, you know what? It's okay. I think it also um, allows those of us who are maybe working on something to feel safe in that space because if they're saying, I'm willing to wait, 
I'm willing to, to, to hang in there uh, with you. I'm not going anywhere. Then you're, you're working on that trust aspect, right? I can, I can be vulnerable. I can confess when I mess up. And you're so much, at least I have found this to be true for, for my life, I'm so much quicker to kind of say like, oh my goodness, listen, I dropped the ball and I'm real embarrassed about this. In fact, I'm feeling pretty awful about it. Uh, because I know that there's going to be patience, there's going to be understanding. And again, like, by no means do we mean to paint the perfect picture, right? Like, we're 10 years into this thing. Right. Um, and, and again, we could, we've openly admitted, like, there's been several fights, even in the last five or six weeks um, for us. But we hope that this is something that you can kind of aim for um, and, and kind of work yourself towards, being intentional about having healthy fights. The idea of patience, it really is just a reaffirming to your saying to the person, you're worth it. You're worth waiting on. Andrea loves to, she got it from whatever movie it was, but she says, well, I'll let you say it. What do you say? Uh, yeah, we stole this line, I'd rather fight with you than make love to anybody else. Come on. You know, so this is kind of like in the in the moments, and a lot of times we kind of end our, our spats with this, like, you know, the, the makeup part, like, listen, babe, I'd rather fight with you yeah. than make love to anybody else. So, 1 Corinthians 13, love stays no matter what, love believes the best, love lets go of the past, love is willing to wait. I'm entering into fights with people that I love, it's not that I don't love them, I love them, and I'm going to keep these, these nuggets, these principles from, from 1 Corinthians 13. But, as I say that, maybe you're going, oh, thank you, Jason, that was so nice and bibly and bibly, biblical, whatever, I said bibly, but that's fine. But, like, that doesn't help me because... They just make me so mad. Like, thank you for the Bible, but, like, they make me so mad. Like, I, I, I will try to do that. It's fine. But, like, can you help me, like, with how to not throw a plate at their head? Like, how do I not do that? Okay? How do I not do that? They make me so mad. So we, we've given you four things that are straight out of the Bible that I believe are foundational pieces now I want to give you four Jason and Andrea's opinion, okay? Jason and Andrea's total opinion, no Bible verses attached to these at all, um, just our opinion and things that have helped us uh, fight fair, what we call fight fair. We're going to fight, but we're going to be fair about it. There's going to be some ground rules in there, and we're, we're going to fight fair uh, through this. So we want to give you just four things that, that work for us. There were, I'm sure there were a couple more, but... I didn't want to give you more opinion than we gave you Bible. That sounds kind of weird. So anyway, um, we're going to give you four things. Tips for fighting fair, all right? Number one, write this down or take a shot of the, of the screen. Number one, tips for fighting fair, no cheap shots. No cheap shots. Here's what I've found in fights. The fight is going fine until somebody feels like they're losing, and so they reach into their bag of tools or their belt of ammunition and they pull out that doozy. They pull out that zinger. They pull out that statement that before they say it, they go, oh my gosh, this is so good. I can't wait to say this one. You know what I'm talking about? You know it's going to hurt. You know it's going to work. You know it's going to give you the upper hand in the fight. But it's a cheap shot. It's below the belt. It's off limits. And here's what we've learned about cheap shots. The fight will be over, everybody makes up, that's fine. Five, ten, twenty years later, they still remember what you said about that cheap shot. So you moved on and, and everything is fine, you think, but five years later, they still remember that you said that they're fat. They still remember that you said that ever since you had that baby, you can't lose weight or whatever. And you thought you were winning the fight, and every time they look in the mirror, they remember what you said to them in that cheap shot below the belt, right? 
You say something about, you call them their mom or dad by their name. Or you say, you're acting just like your mom. And you start getting off on some fight about their parent. They never forget that. It stays with them. And so what you think you're doing by winning the fight, you're actually losing big time in the long term. Because they're never going to forget the cheap shot. It worked. The bullet hit them. But you can never get the bullet out. And you and I both know this is true because you can remember statements from when you were a child, what a teacher said to you, what a parent said to you, what a boyfriend or a girlfriend said to you, a brother or a sister said to you, an ex-spouse said to you, and you've carried it around with you your whole life. And so for Andrea and I, as we get into fights, and this is, so, this is me, this is my rule more than it's your rule because like, I'm not an angry person. I'm not a rage-filled person. I've never punched a wall. Like, I'm not, that's not me, right? But I can annihilate you with my words. Like, I can slice you up and down. Like, I, all of my punishment as a kid was from my mouth. Like, I know how to be hurtful with my words. And if we get into a fight and I feel like I'm losing ground, I'll, I'll go there. And here's and what's so scary about this. He knows, you know, we've, we've mentioned or touched on the five love languages. Mine is words of affirmation. So I feel like for us, not only is it that, that nobody should take cheap shots, but I feel like in the dynamic of our relationship, it is literally the counterpart to when I feel most loved, okay? So if we're saying there's a way to fight that your spouse still feels loved, even though we're disagreeing and butting heads, the way, the complete opposite of that for us is for him to, to take a cheap shot or to say something um, that is purposefully meant to kind of, you know, dig in or, or get the upper hand. Because it is the exact opposite for me for words of affirmation. And you don't get credit for the things you don't say. <laughs> Doesn't that stink? Like, oh, if you knew what I was going to say, but I held my tongue. You'd be so glad I didn't say it. Like, you don't get to do that. You know what I'm saying? You don't get credit for that. So, True. no cheap shots. And here's how you know if it's a cheap shot. Because when you say it, both people go, ooh. Like, you both know. And we've actually kind of accidentally created like a little, I mean, not a phrase or whatever, but whenever one of us uses a cheap shot, the other person will go, you feel, you feel better? I didn't know that's what you were going to say. Yeah, okay, yeah. Good. You feel better? You feel better? <laughs> you, feel, you need to get that off your chest? You feel better? That's how we know it was a cheap shot because we're both like, okay, did you feel like you needed to say that? And you just, you can't go there. So no cheap shots. I'm my palms sweaty right yeah. now, so you know. <laughs> I'm the cheap shot guy. I'm totally the cheap, cheap shot guy. Now, here's what I wrote down for that. Love doesn't hurt on purpose. Love doesn't hurt on purpose. And if I know it's going to hurt her before I say it, and I choose to say it, that's not love. Right. There have been lots of times we've been fighting, and I've said something, and I didn't realize it was going to hurt you, and it hurt you. Right. That was accidental hurt, yeah. but love doesn't hurt on purpose. All right, number two. Number one is no cheap shots. Okay? Number two is name the emotion. Name the emotion. And, and let me try to explain to you what I mean by this. Especially for the guys in here, if you could put a name on how you feel or what they did and how it made you feel, it will change the whole dynamic of the fight. Let me explain to you what I mean, okay? We have a budget that we spend $120 a trip to the grocery store. Andrea goes to the grocery store, spends $160. Comes home, and I say, hey, how much did you spend? Or I've already checked the bank account. And she says, oh, I spent 160 
and I get mad. But if I can't tell her why I'm mad, we end up spending 30 minutes arguing about $40. And it's not about $40. You know what I'm saying? We're not fighting about $40. We're fighting about disrespect. Because that's what I'm mad about. Now, it may not be valid, and she has the chance to tell me that that's not true. But in my mind, the reason that I'm upset is because we worked together to set this budget, and, and, and she knew what that was, and she disrespected that. So if I could say to her, I feel, here it is, I'm naming it, I feel disrespected, then we can fight about what the actual issue is, not $40, because it's not $40, yeah. it's disrespect. If I can say to her, or she can say to me, I feel afraid, I, I feel, I'm, I'm scared about the fact, then we can fight about what the actual issue is. But here's what I've found every single time is that when I can tell her what I'm feeling, instead of fighting with me, she immediately puts her supportive wife hat on and goes into this mindset of, how can I help you? So if I say to her, I feel disrespected, I feel scared, I feel afraid, I feel whatever, then she, instead of fighting me, wants to help me not feel that way anymore. And it changes the whole dynamic of the fight. Does that make sense when I say name the emotion? Do you understand what I mean by that? Okay. And I would say, you know, sticking with the kind of grocery budget, in my perspective, I feel like, well, why are you trying to control me? Or, you know, stop being my dad. Like, I'm an adult, I'm, I'm a, I have a job, or whatever whatever bickering, you know, statements you might make. But if, if he can say and identify, I feel like you're disrespecting me, and it's not because I'm here and you're here or, or anything like that. It's we agreed on this together. I'm doing everything I can to provide and protect our family's finances and when you go against that or you circumvent that, it's, yeah. it's, it's a rub. It's, it's, a, it's, a it's not just disrespect my way, too. Like, I can come home and you have told the kids, no, we're not doing that. I come home and I say, oh, yeah, come on, load up, kids, we'll do that. And you go, I'm not frustrated we're doing this. I'm frustrated yeah. that you disrespected me with the kids. Right. That's an example of that. So we just feel like if you can name the emotion, figure out why, why am I actually fighting? What am I feeling that has made me want to fight right now? You will save a lot of time fighting about stuff that's not even the point. Because usually, you spend an hour fighting, the first 45 minutes is just getting down to what it actually you want to talk about, what yeah, you so want to really fight about. we're just trying to save you some time and money about having to go to maybe a counselor who can yeah. help you identify some of these yeah. feelings. If you can kind of cut to the chase and start to label it yourself, you're, you're going to have a And guys, dig a little deeper than frustrated. I'm just frustrated. <laughs> well, I'm just frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. Yeah. Okay, let's dig a little deeper than that. Okay, I get it. You're frustrated. What is, what is the emotion? All right, number two is name the emotion. Number three, know the rules before you fight. Know the rules before you fight. This is so huge, and this is something that Andrea and I were doing without even realizing we were doing it, which was, it was just a positive thing, but now we've been able to kind of put some language to it. But you're thinking rationally right now. You're not thinking rationally when you fight with each other, okay? So if you could set up ground rules right now that you know when you go into the fight, this is how we're going to fight, it changes the whole game. We've already given you one, no cheap shots. So Andrea and I know going into a fight that a rule is no cheap shots. And we've talked about it so much that we know that's a rule. We're not, we're not going there, right? Okay? But what are some other rules that we have, Andrea? Well, we talk through, um, you know, obviously 10 years of, of being together, or married, 12 years of being a couple, 
we had hundreds of fights. And for me, coming into the marriage, my, my kind of defense mechanisms were to either silent treatment and just kind of hold a grudge and remove Ugh, myself. Silent treatment. Or, Jeez, it would, or I felt just really overly emotional and um, just kind of like couldn't hold my own. And so I'm like this, you know, sobbing mess of a pile of emotions like on the floor. And um, this actually changed for me. We were reading a marriage book um, together, and the husband's perspective, he explained it like this. He said, a husband's extreme version of emotion most often is anger, right? He's yelling. He's punching a hole in the wall. He's, he, even if in extreme cases, maybe he, there's aggression or violence. For a female, most often, again, I don't want to make blanket statements, but most often for a female, it's the emotional expression is, is crying. Um, and that there's the same type of trigger the way that we, as a female, feel defenseless if a husband is yelling or angry or just has all this rage. They have the same type of emotional experience as when we are crying or kind of, out, that's kind of our version of being out of, our, out of control. Okay, now, with that being said, let me back up a little bit and clean it up a little bit. I still cry. Like, that happens. Um, but I would say it's much less frequent, um, and if, if it, I feel like I guess it's a little bit more warranted, if I could put it that way. Let me say it like this. Yeah, at if this point, crying, if you start crying, I'm like, oh, yeah. boy, that was, it's bad. If you're crying every single um, time that there's tension, it, it's, it's kind of, not only is it, I would say, annoying, it's lost a little bit of its credibility. Does, is that fair? And Can as I a, say that? Is as that a husband, I mean? once you start crying, only a jerk would keep going at you while you're crying. So there were times early on in our relationship where I felt like you would start, start crying, so I would have to stop talking. Right. Right, it becomes... You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I, I'm, I'm not done talking. I got some other things I'd like to say. Yeah. But I'm not going to keep going at her if she's crying. And so the we... The balance is he's not an angry person, so we've de-escalated that emotion. And then I am not as emotional, so I'm not crying all the time. We're still very passionate people. Right. right? But a fight for us can happen with the two of us sitting at a dinner table kind of talking passionately, but there's no fear of, like, either one of us having this traumatic, you know, meltdown. So so rules are the things that you know that if you do them is only going to escalate the situation. Right. It's going to make your spouse more upset. So we've talked about crying, uh, leaving the room. Like, well, I just need to leave the room, okay? Two things about this. First of all, if you need to leave the room so that you're not physically violent, you need to go talk to somebody. You have issues and, the, and, your, and your spouse is not making you do that. You have issues. You could be married to 16 other people. It, it would still be there. It's not them. But the second thing is some people just leave the room because they don't want to talk anymore. But if the other person still ha feels like they have things they need to say and, and, and you walk off, that's going to just fill them with more rage. So maybe that's a rule. It may not be a rule for you. Maybe you both want to separate and come back at a later time or whatever. For Andrea and I, that's a rule. If we're going to fight about this, we're not leaving the room. We're going to stay until this is resolved. And I remember lots of times, the first probably three or four years, like if there was a fight happening, it probably meant we were going to be up till 2 a.m. Like yes. we're just not going to Because that was one of our rules at the time. At the time, yeah. We we're not go going to, to sleep angry. angry. I can't remember the last time we had a fight where like we had to stay up late. And I think that that just is due to a fact of, like, we kind of have practiced at getting to the court issue more quickly. We've tried to kind of manage emotions, you know, to the best of our ability, not to say that we're robots or anything. 
but it has just really um, made, I feel like now when we fight, I'm like, good, we need to, okay, I, that's good. I feel like <laughs> that's better. part of it. I feel like the other part is we're just old and tired. Oh, like, wow. once the kids go to bed, you ain't got any energy to fight. You're just like, okay, I'm sorry you go to bed. And, and the good stuff, too. Um, <laughs> yelling as much as possible for us, that's one of our rules. We're not going to yell. I mean, th- this still happens. Don't get me wrong. There's still some yelling. We're loud talkers anyway, so yeah. don't mistake our loud talking. If we're yelling, it's real. That's loud. That's normal than, you know, louder than normal. So crying, leaving the room, yelling, rolling your eyes, you know, um, like just whatever the rules are. You know, maybe for you it's cursing, yeah. you know, cheap, cheap shots, whatever it is. You need to figure out what those rules are so that you can enter into a fight yeah. unafraid that somebody's punching a wall, taking a cheap shot, whatever it is. So I had a, a, somebody that I worked with, when they shut down, they would click a pin, like, yeah, and click, 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 click. So y- you have to figure out what that is for you and your spouse. You may be doing something that you have no idea that it is adding to their frustration. Sometimes we're not totally aware of our behaviors. I mean, maybe we know we're doing it, but we don't know what type of effect that it's having. Um, so, like, I didn't realize until we actually talked about it that my silent treatment was just making him more angry. I thought I was doing the noble thing by kind of holding right. my tongue, so to speak. Does that make sense? So you've got to talk through those things. Yep. Okay, number one, no cheap shots. Number two, name the emotion. Number three, know the rules before you fight. Number four, apologize. Apologize. This may be the, the most secretive, I don't know, this is like the best kept secret to fighting ever. And it's so simple. Just apologize. Stop digging in your heels. Stop being so stubborn. Stop. Just apologize early and often. Apologize. Just apologize. And I know all the rules. I know all the statements, you know, the happy wife, happy life. And the man's always just supposed to apologize even if he's not wrong. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sincere apologies. Listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did that. I shouldn't have done it. I know it made you feel that way. And I'm going to try my best not to do it again. I really am sorry. And we've actually apologized so much to each other now that we have trouble believing if it's sincere or not. So we'll say to the other person, we'll say in our apology, and I want you to know, I really mean this. Yeah. I'm sorry. And I, I really, I'm not just saying this. I really mean this. I really it am sorry. Is, you think that, you know, that harsh words or the right statement or proving your point, that those are the most powerful tools, so to speak. Apologies are the most powerful tool that you have. When it comes to fighting. And here's why it's so powerful. Because if you apologize to me, I know that you understand why I was upset. If if, if we're fighting and you're like, well, listen, I'm sorry you felt that way. But, you know, (laughs) it's like you you still don't get why I feel, how I feel. But if you say, listen, I know that I made you feel disrespected. And I'm sorry about that. And I will try my best not to do it again. I really do mean this. I'm sorry. What am I going to say? It's over. She just apologized. And only a ruthless jerk would be like, well, yeah, thank you for the apology, but no, like, okay. And I'm not going to bring up this fight in the next fight, and we're done. Just apologize. Now, we know when the other person is apologizing just to get the fight done. That usually never works. But there's a sense that you just know that, you know what, there's probably something in this fight I could apologize for, and there's probably something in this same fight that she could apologize for. Both people probably could apologize here. Just apologize. 
And I can't tell you how many couples I've sat in a room with or across from dinner with or whatever, and there's something going on, and the, and the posture of one of the spouses is this. Like, I'm not apologizing. I'm not giving in. It's not my fault. It's their fault. Go ahead, talk to them. Tell them. You know, it's never going to work. You got to apologize. I'm, I'm sorry. Can we practice that? Let's just say I'm sorry together. Ready? I'm sorry. Some of y'all, that's the first time y'all said that. Your spouse can't even believe it right now. Like, let's say it one more time. I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. Just apologize. A real, genuine, non-sassy, non-sarcastic, I'm sorry, will solve so many of your problems. Has this been helpful to you today? I hope so. I hope it's been helpful to you. We, we want it to be. We want it to be super practical, obviously, and helpful. On your way out today, like we've done every week, we're giving every married couple one of these cards. It's got three questions on it. It's actually crammed, the spacing, like we had to cram it in there because we had so much we wanted to say this week. But we want every married couple to take one of these cards. And I hope these have been helpful to you as you have time to talk to your spouse. Have you guys been using these? Hopefully you have. There's three questions we want you to ask each other today. Number one, what is the one thing I do during a fight that makes you upset, more upset? Like, what's the thing that I do while we're fighting that just escalates the situation? Identify that, okay? So I see some of y'all laughing. Number two, is there something hurtful I've said in the past that you've not been able to let go of? It's those cheap shots. If so, sincerely apologize. Listen, I am so sorry. What a stupid thing to say. I shouldn't have said it. I don't know why I said it, but I really am sorry. Forgive me. Ask them to forgive you. It's powerful. Number three, between the two of you, go ahead and set the ground rules for your future fights. Topics that are off limits, past <laughs> mistakes that aren't allowed to be brought up, actions that aren't allowed, etc. And make sure both spouses get input. Set the ground rules. Set the rules for your fights before you get into them, okay? Listen, we love you. We believe in you. I hope you don't feel like Andrew and I have it all together. That's not been the point of this series at all, but we are passionate about these things. And we just want you to know we believe that the future really is brighter than the past and that your best days are ahead of you. No matter how rough the marriage feels today or looks today, we want you to know we really believe God's got incredible plans for your relationship. It's not always going to feel like this. The future's bright, all right? I want to pray for us. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, I pray for every marriage in the room, every potential marriage in the room. I pray that your Holy Spirit today would breathe some hope, some new life into a relationship that's fractured or broken. Where trust is broken, where benefit of the doubt can't be given, where cheap shots are all around and involved. God, I just pray that there would be a fresh start, a feeling of new hope and new opportunity in the relationship. I pray for every marriage hanging on by a thread today, God, that they would leave here with confidence knowing that the future is better than it is right now, God. I pray for every husband, every wife. God, I pray that we would fight, as odd as this sounds, in a God-honoring way. 
we would fight in a God-honoring way, that it would be actually possible, God, that we could get done talking about our frustrations and communicating our, our faults and our failures to each other, and you be pleased with how we did it, God. I pray that this would be a place, God, where marriages thrive and are built up, not torn down. In Jesus' name, everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. We never want to miss the opportunity to give someone the, the, the chance to, to give their life to Jesus Christ, to commit their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a husband or a wife here today and you don't know Jesus. I believe the best thing that you could ever do for your marriage is to give your life to Jesus Christ. I know it to be true. But regardless of what the situation is or the circumstance, I know we've been talking about marriage and fighting. didn't even really mention following Jesus, but here's what we know to be true. That the Holy Spirit draws you in, and you can't even really explain it, but you just know that today is the day. This is the moment that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, commit your life to him, start your new journey with him. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you, and we're not going to embarrass you or make you stand up or come down front or anything like that, I promise. We're really just going to pray a prayer together right where you sit, but if you're here today and you would say, Jason, that's me, I don't even know how to explain it totally, but I know that now's the time, this is the moment, and I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ, would you just lift your hand and make eye contact with me, nobody looking around, just me and you looking at each other, you'd say, yeah, Jason, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ, commit my life to him, I'm tired of living for me, doing it my way, just a few more moments, don't want to stretch it out, you just say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. All right, everybody stand up with me if you would. John and the team are going to lead us in this chorus one more time. Can we just spend these last two or three moments here in the service just breathing in some more of that hope, the presence of God that lifts our spirits, lifts our faith together. Come on, let's do that together.